thank you, Miss Hannah and worship ministry. And Jonathan, you guys always do an awesome job, no matter who's on the microphone. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, I'm not Joel, but my name is Mike. Um, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here, and you can fill out a green tab uh, on your worship guide and turn that in and at the boxes on your way out, and we'd love to be able to get to know you more, connect with you, and uh, you can do that uh, by filling out that card and let us know who you are. We are glad that you're here. Hey, Jacob, I'm glad that you're here too, man. Hey, this, uh, this morning we are continuing in, in part seven of a series called Acts. It's, a, it's on Acts. It's called Church on the Move. And um, this morning uh, we're talking about being bold for Jesus. Uh, now, before I begin, I just want to tell you I'm probably the least qualified person to stand up here and to talk about being bold. I'm nervous right now. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about this because it's what's in the, the text, and you don't get that luxury if it doesn't fit you or suit you. You have to do that. Um, I'm one of those people that um, if, if I'm at a restaurant uh, and I find something that I like on the menu that I really like, I stick to that thing every single time. I, never, I see some, some head nods, so I'm good. I thought this was going to be just a sermon for myself, which it probably is, but... So if I find that thing, I stick with that thing, I don't order anything else because I just know in the back of my mind that if I order something else, it's, it may not be as good and, you know, I'm spending good money, so I want to make sure that I like what I get. And I'm, I am, the, my family knows I'm the designated purse holder at amusement parks, so when my crazy family goes and rides all these roller coasters, I'm just the guardian of the, of the stroller right there, and I let them do their thing, and on these, on these roller coasters that... I know had to be designed, you know, centuries ago as torture devices, but they like to risk life and limb. So I'm fine just sitting here guarding the stroller. That's fine by me. I'm not a bold person. Um, that's, not, uh, that's not my nature. It, it's, it's just not who I am. But I know that it's something I should be. and I know it's something that God calls me to be at certain times, especially when it has to do with sharing the gospel. God calls me to be bold. Um, and to let the things that I say and the things that I do speak about who he is to the people around me. And so that's what we're talking about today. This sermon, like I said, is for me, so thanks for being here. So it doesn't seem like I'm a crazy person just talking to myself in the room. But I'm talking to myself about how I can be bold when I share my faith, being bold for Jesus. So turn to Acts 4. That's where we're picking up today. We finished with Acts 3 last week. And uh, I just, while you do, are doing that, I just want to set the... Uh, set the scene for you here for what we're about to read. Um, during the days of the early church, there were essentially two, uh, two ruling classes, main ones, two political parties. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. The Pharisees were popular with the people. Um, they were the ones that were concerned about religion and they were concerned about tradition. You saw a lot of that in Jesus' ministry and how they were able to so successfully turn the crowd against Jesus so easily. And then you had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the elite. They were the aristocracy. They had all the money. They had all the power. Um, they ran all the operations in the temple. Um, they had uh, a, a good relationship with Rome because they benefited financially from from Rome's uh, occupation there, and so they wanted to keep everything how it was. They believed in that the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, they believed that was the only inspired word of God, nothing else in the Old Testament. And the thing I want you to remember today is that they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in miracles. And they did not believe in the resurrection which presents a huge problem 
for Peter and John because that's exactly what Peter and John are preaching. And so that's the scene here. They're preaching to the people and the, the Sadducees, they interrupt them. So let's start at verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. So you see it's the same playbook as, as they did with Jesus. They would, they would intimidate them. They said, well, look, we'll just put them in prison for one night. They'll sweat it out. It's kind of the original scared straight program. Before it gets too bad, let's, let's show them what we can do. The only problem is that Peter and John really hadn't done anything wrong. Um, we don't read anywhere when, when uh, they were arrested that Peter and John uh, re- resisted that arrest. We don't see where they protested. It seems that they were completely submissive and allowed this to happen to them uh, without, without giving any trouble. And so Jesus, we know Jesus had made it clear to Peter in the garden, violence is not how you solve things. Um, and so they were submissive when they were arrested and they were put in jail that night. Verse 4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So we started at 3,000. Now we're up to 5,000. The church is beginning to explode. And that's just the men. That's not including the women and and children. And some scholars say it may have been as much as 12,000 people by this time. And so verse 5, the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law, it's the group's gotten bigger, met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. So you can see what's happening here. This is, this is a power play. They're saying we need to get as many high-up people together. Um, and, and Peter and John were facing off against these really well-established religious organizations and institutions. And the same group that had condemned Jesus to death just a couple months ago, they were standing in front of Peter and John and basically wanting them, Peter and John to know, hey, you saw what we did to your rabbi. We can do the same thing to you. So verse 7 They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Because they hadn't given them the authority to do that. So they wanted to know, who gave you that authority? Not only did Peter and John not have authority to teach, but their teachings directly contradicted their authority. Think about it. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. Now they have a problem because these guys are preaching about the resurrection and they just performed a miracle. Verse 8. Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to stop right there. Yeah. So now you get a buy one, get one special. You get another little sermon in here, okay? The Peter that's about to speak, it's not the same Peter that we saw in the Gospels. He's been changed. He's becoming the rock on which Jesus said that he would build his church. We're seeing the beginning of that change. The Peter in the Gospels, we saw him as fearful. He was, he was fickle. He was faithless. Remember when Peter tried to walk on water uh, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Then Peter called to him, this is Jesus, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? So then fast forward a little bit to when Jesus was arrested and Peter 
defended him by cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. So finally we get a glimpse, right? Peter is finally beginning to stand up. But then in the very next paragraph in the book of Luke, the same Luke that writes Acts, he says in Luke 22, Then they seized him, this is Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. That's not a small detail. Luke wants us to know, hey, he's still scared. He's following way out of sight that he can't get in trouble. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, not the Sanhedrin, not guys that could kill him, but a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little time later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them, or one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, he hadn't even gotten the words out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And then just in this heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. That's the Peter of the Gospels. That's the Peter. He's afraid. He is, he is fickle. He has zero faith. That's not the same Peter that we're about to see, though, in verse 4, who's going to boldly share the gospel with these, with these intimidating politicians. So what's changed? What's different now? Peter has changed, right? In the upper room, Jesus promised his apostles that they would receive the helper. And they did. They received the helper. Peter received the gift of the Holy Spirit in the upper room at Pentecost. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But I don't think Luke, in this moment, I don't think Luke is saying, hey, by the way, don't forget the Holy Spirit resides in Peter. I think it's more than that. I think that, I think Peter's trying to get us to understand something else, that when we surrender our life to Jesus, we are immediately indwelled by the Spirit of God. We receive the entirety of His Spirit, and we can't lose it. It resides in us from the moment of our salvation until the day of redemption, until the day that we are reunited with Jesus and the day in which we are restored. But I want you to hear this. As New Testament believers, people, that's us, that live after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the church, if we have had a genuine, real conversion experience, if we have truly surrendered our life to Jesus and commit our life to following Him, the Holy Spirit, it, it seals us as a child of God for all eternity. And we may grieve the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We may face the consequences for our sin in our life. We may, we may miss out on the blessings that God has for us because we're choosing to not follow the Spirit's leading. But if we have truly committed our life to Jesus... The Holy Spirit resides in us, and we cannot lose that, and we cannot lose our salvation. God is so good to us, though. This is like the infomercial, but wait, there's more. God's so good to us that not only does he indwell us with his spirit, he also fills us with his spirit for specific moments in our lives, for specific seasons in our lives. And that's what's happening here with Peter. In Ephesians 5, 18, Paul tells us, he commands us 
be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word for filled, it, it means to keep being filled or to continue to be filled. Um, it's not an action that we do. It's an action that we receive. It's not something that we can make happen. It's something that God does to us and for us. Um, John MacArthur does a really good job of explaining it, so I'm just going to read what he said because he does better than me. And he says that to be filled, it has three uses that we see in the Bible. This be filled that we're talking about. Three uses. One of those, it, it carries the idea of pressure. So think about the sails of a ship. It's the wind that blows through those sails, the pressure that causes that ship to move, that causes that ship to go in certain directions. And that's one way that we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is, is being uh, talked about. It's like wind that propels a ship. And the second one is an idea of permeation. So the best way I can think of that is, you guys, if you have a bottle of water, and you know those little flavor packets or whatever that you squirt in the water or put in there, and you shake it up really, really good, what happens to the clear water once you put the flavor packet in? It, it, it changes color if it's something colored, and the entire bottle of water tastes like whatever the flavoring packet that is. That's the idea of permeation. When, when God fills us with his spirit, all of ourselves, our thoughts, our actions, our words, every part of us is flavored with the Spirit of God. Everything that we do, everything that we say is flavored by His Spirit in us. And then the third, the third way we see it used in the New Testament is, is when uh, the writers want to indicate that um, we are dominated by, that the Holy Spirit is dominating a certain emotion. Um, the emotions that we have, that influences what we do, right? That influences our actions. But if the Holy Spirit is dominating our emotions, then when we get angry, which it's okay to get angry, but if the Holy Spirit is dominating that emotion, that means we're not going to go out and do something dumb in our anger and do something sinful in our anger. That means it's going to be a righteous anger because the Holy Spirit is dominating that emotion. That's the third way we see being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's this idea of the wind blowing through our cells, and it's the idea of, of the Holy Spirit permeating everything that we do, and the idea of, of us being submissive to the Holy Spirit in our, in our emotions. And that's our first point today, our five points today. You can go ahead and, and number your paper if you want to. Um, the, the way that we can be bold is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to receive the action of the Holy Spirit when He fills us. And the more I studied this week, the more I went through all these points, and, and I, I realized that um, it's so true what Pastor Joel said last week about when we're sharing the gospel. It's okay to not always have a plan. It's okay to, to, to not always know what you're going to say. It's okay to say to somebody, hey, I want you to know that God sent you to the earth, or that God sent Jesus to the earth, and Jesus died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead, and then just like Pastor Joel said, and just sit there, and just wait for the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help. I love that um, the, the three circles study that we're doing, because it's such a great tool, because it helps us initiate that conversation. It helps us to figure out, hey, how do we start this conversation? How do we take a random conversation and turn it towards Jesus? How do we explain the gospel? But it's okay to, to say, um, God, I feel like you're leading me to, to start this conversation, and I feel like I might, I might, because I've been to three circles, or I've done it before, I might know how to start this conversation, but I sure don't know how it's going to end up. But God, I feel that your wind is blowing through my cells, moving me forward to do this, and it's okay to start it, and then to say, but God, after that, whatever else happens, 
that's up to you. You do it. You can put it all on him. I promise he can handle that. You can start it, put it all on him, and he will lead you. That should be our default, right? As Holy Spirit believers, shouldn't we always just be, God, it's all on you. It's all up to you. That should be our default position, not just when we're desperate to see him work. That should be our default position at every point in our life. This desperation for God, God, it's all on you. It's all, it's whatever you want to do, you do it. And I think that's what Peter and John must have been praying that night in that jail cell. I think they were bold in that moment because they were so desperate for God. They, they didn't know what to do on their own. How are they going to speak to, this, to the, these religious men that had the power to condemn them to death? So they said, God, we don't know what we're going to say, but we're going to put it all on you. And we know that you're going to do it. We know that you're going to be faithful. We can be bold when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We sang about that a few minutes ago. Peter is a changed man. He's not fearful anymore. He's not fickle anymore. He's not faithful anymore. This is the Holy Spirit indwelled, Holy Spirit filled rock on whom Jesus is about to build his church. And his church is now 12,000 people strong. Now the Sadducees questioning them about Healing this man was really not about Peter and John, and it was not about the lame man. It was about them. It was their power, and it was their authority that was in question. Remember, they are the religious elite. They run the temple. They have this sweet setup with Rome that allows them to benefit financially, and they want to do anything they can to keep it that way. But they're nervous right now, because right now there's 12,000 people who are putting their trust in another high priest. They're putting their trust in our great high priest. And Peter doesn't mince words. He says, we perform this miracle by the power of your Messiah who you killed. And he quotes Psalm 118 and says, you rejected the cornerstone. It's a slap in the face to these guys who are revered for their piousness, their devotion to God. And Peter is saying, you're not close to God. You're far from God. And in all of this, Peter and John never really seemed too concerned about their safety. They remained faithful. They did what was right in the eyes of God. And I think had they been given the option to submit to the, these religious leaders and to submit to God, I think they would have done that. That was Peter's message even in his own letter to the early church in uh, 1 Peter 2. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors uh, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. But the problem is they couldn't submit to these guys because their authority directly contradicted God's authority. And that really tells us something. It really tells us that that's how far these, these men were from God. These men that ran the temple, these men that presided over 
the sacrifices, these men that were in charge of everything that had to do with Judaism, they were far from God. And so they needed to hear the truth of the gospel just as much as anybody else did. And I think that was God's plan all along. That's point number two. We can be bold when we trust God's plan. We can be bold when we trust God's plan. This was not Peter and John's plan. It was God's. It was a divine appointment. I was reading this, and and I went back and read Acts 3 because that's what we talked about last week, and I was just thinking, how many times had Jesus passed by this man at the beautiful gate? In his life, in his ministry, how many times had he passed by this man and he never healed this man? And to us, we look at it and say, well, that's a lot of missed opportunities, right? He could have healed him long before that. Jesus could have healed him, and when he healed him, the man would have still leapt through the temple. The disciples would have seen that. They would have been encouraged. They would have been once again in awe of their master's power. All the people would have seen that. The religious leaders would have seen that. But that wasn't God's plan. Because God's plan is to empower us and to use us. Peter and John needed to know that it was their faith that healed this man. They needed to know it was on what they believed that healed this man. This was a passing of the torch. Jesus had ascended into heaven. He gave us his helper as a Holy Spirit. And he said, now, you go and do it. I'll be with you. But it's yours now. The second commandment that God gave Moses was to not create any graven images. Do you know why? The reason why is because we were created to be the image of God. We are made in his image. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, multiply, and I want you to fill the earth with images of me for my glory. It's always been God's plan to put it on us to empower us to do his will you know if you've shared the gospel with somebody regardless of how they receive it even if they dismiss it or even if they reject it you know that when you do that when you share the gospel you know it makes you feel so good that you had the opportunity to do that you're thankful for that opportunity and if you've ever had the chance to to share the gospel and you're able to actually lead somebody to christ that, that makes you feel even better, and you can't keep that to yourself. You can't do that. You can't experience God, change somebody's life, and keep that to yourself. Peter and John, they needed to heal this guy, and they needed to do it in front of the crowd. They needed to do it in front of the Sadducees because that was the only way that they would ever be afforded an audience of the entire religious council. Remember, They went back, and after Peter and John had spent the whole night in jail, they went back and got everybody. So basically what God is doing, he said, hey, I want you to go get all your friends who don't believe in me, and let's put them all in one room, and then I'm going to just preach the gospel through my rock who's about to start the church. Here's your chance. That was not Peter and John's plan. That was God's plan. It was all his plan. So we don't need to know God's plan to be bold. We just have to trust him. We just have to trust that he has a plan and and follow him and trust in him. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They knew they weren't talking like rabbis. They knew they weren't rabbis. That's obvious. But they knew, hey, there's something different about these guys. There's something special about these guys, and perhaps some of them, they did recognize them as people that had been to Jesus. Hey, there's that 
That, it's funny, if you guys have ever watched uh, or have never watched The Chosen, you need to do that. Uh, it's, it's an amazing show that kind of helps us look at, uh, it, it's free, it's, you can find it on YouTube or on your app or whatever. It's a show and it's talking about Jesus and the life of disciples and it's so interesting to see how they portray different disciples. And I think about um, these, these religious leaders they may have looked at one of them and say, hey, I, I recognize that guy, that guy that's walking with the limp, that guy with the scar on his cheek, whatever. I recognize because he, he hung out with Jesus. I know it. I recognize him. But I don't think that's really why they recognize them the most. I think the, way, the reason they recognized them the most was because they had the same heart that Jesus had. They had the same compassion that Jesus had, the same character, the same conviction. They spoke the same words of truth. That, that, that were hard to hear, but they spoke those words of truth and love, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Maybe, maybe Caiaphas looked at Peter in the eyes, and maybe he saw the same thing in Peter's eyes that he had seen in Jesus' eyes because Peter now had the Spirit of God inside of him. So my question for us this morning, can that be said of us? Can your coworkers tell that you have been with Jesus? And your family and your friends, can they look at you and hear you and watch you do what you do? And can they say, I know that person. That person hangs out with Jesus all the time. Number three, we can be bold when we spend time with Jesus. We can be bold when we spend time with Jesus. Peter and John's message would have been worthless had their actions contradicted what they did, but they didn't. Peter and John, they practiced what they literally were preaching to these guys. They weren't speaking about someone they didn't know. They spoke with passion because they personally knew Jesus. And I think one thing that keeps me from sharing the gospel is because I know that sometimes what I practice isn't what I preach. It's not what I'm telling other people to do. And as I was thinking about that, that's all the more, that's not a reason to not do it. That's all the more reason to not make sharing the gospel about people, about us, about the church. I think Pastor Joel mentioned that last week. Don't make it about church. Don't make that the focus. It's okay to talk to somebody about your church or about your Sunday school class or about some great event that we do, but don't make it about people. If you're talking with a lost person, don't invite them to church. Invite them to Jesus. Then you can invite them to church. I know it's hard to tell somebody the truth of, of the gospel. It's hard to tell them, hey, everybody, including you and me, buddy, we're all destined to spend eternity separated from Jesus without giving our lives to him. I know that's a hard truth. And when I think, of, when I think about sharing the gospel, the, the scenarios start running in my head of all the things that could go wrong, of all the ways I could be rejected, of all the ways that this could be awkward, especially if it's somebody that I know. You guys know you're, you're sharing the gospel with, with coworkers and friends and families, people that you're going to see again, and you're thinking, man, if this goes horribly wrong, it's like a breakup. It's going to be awkward for the rest of my life, you know? You're thinking all those scenarios can play out in your head. And yes, if they know you, especially if they knew, knew you before you knew the Lord they could know the mistakes you've made. And yeah, those mistakes could get thrown right back in your face. All those things could happen. But I want you to do something. When, when, when you feel the Holy Spirit moving through your cells, hey, you need to share 
what you know about Jesus with this person. And then Satan helps you run all through those lists of scenarios of things that could happen. I want you to remember what actually did happen. Jesus died on a cross to reconcile you with God. And God doesn't condemn you for those mistakes now because he already condemned Jesus for your mistakes. There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can be bold because we know the one who bore our sins on the cross. We know him. We know that he doesn't condemn us. So why are we worried about somebody else condemning us if our Savior, if our Jesus doesn't condemn us? We walk in the Spirit. We fellowship with believers. We study God's Word. We seek Him in prayer. That's how we spend time with Jesus today. Verse 14, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves, What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So like I said, the Sadducees have a big problem on their hands. They don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in resurrection. And so Peter and John are preaching about Jesus' resurrection, and it's a big deal. And it's not just a big deal because they're preaching about the resurrection, but it's a big deal because they've also witnessed a miracle happen with their own eyes. And now, by their own admission, everybody knows about it. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. So they send Peter and John out of the room because they have to talk. They have a PR nightmare on the hands. How are we going to spin this, guys? What are we going to do here? How are we going to make this work where, where we don't lose all credibility? It's causing them to really think about what they actually believe, this miracle that they've seen. But I want you to see something in this, that throughout this whole passage of Scripture, they don't ever reject the miracle. They don't try to call it a farce or a magic trick. They say, we can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign. So they're accepting of that miracle. They reject the message behind the miracle, though. They call it propaganda. Peter and John didn't heal this man to provide the audience with a show. They healed the man so the world could see Jesus. This man's life was changed because of Jesus and the message that Peter and John are preaching is that Jesus is the Messiah. They say, yeah, you crucified him, but God raised him to life, and now he's empowered us to change lives. He's empowered us to share the good news of who he is. He has given us that authority, and he will do that through us. Peter believes the message that he is sharing. He's seen changed lives firsthand. He saw Jesus dead, and then he saw Jesus alive. He saw this lame man not able to walk, and now he sees the lame man leaping through the temple. He looks at his own life a couple months ago. He was, he was denying to a slave girl that he ever knew who Jesus was, and now he is preaching to this entire religious council, to all these people. It's not a story to him. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some chapter in an old book that we pull out during funerals and weddings. It's real. The gospel is real, and he believes the gospel. That's number four. We can be bold when we believe our message. When we believe our message, the, the best evidence for the power of the gospel is a changed life, and that is what Peter and John have experienced. You know, if I had a ball right here, you can tell me all day if I throw this ball up in the air, 
that there's no such thing as gravity. But I know that when I throw a ball up in the air that it's going to fall on the ground. I may not know what's going to cause it to fall on the ground, but I know that there's something that is causing that to happen. That's all the evidence I need that when I throw this ball up, it's going to come plummeting down to the earth. I believe it because I see what it does. I believe Jesus is who he says he is because I have seen him do what he's done in my life. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. The gospel is real. Peter believes that. He has seen it. Verse 18, so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. The council then threatened them further. Further means they had at least been threatened before at some point. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. You know, keep the status quo. We like our deal with Rome. For this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than th- for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Peter says they cannot t- stop telling about everything they've seen and heard. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is real to him. It's personal. Peter is the evidence of the gospel. And if you and I don't believe in the power of the gospel to change lives, it's because our lives have never been changed by the power of the gospel. If you don't believe that Jesus can change somebody else's life, then you're never going to tell them about it. That's hard to hear. I I understand that, but it's the truth. We're never going to be willing to step out on faith, step out of a comfort zone if we don't feel like it's worth it. If we don't believe that sharing the good news of Jesus has any chance to make a difference, why would we ever do it? Why, Why would you ever do something if it doesn't matter? Everything that we do, it matters. We can be bold when we believe the message of Jesus. Verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. They're talking about Jerusalem. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, what? Great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They were threatened, and they prayed. They didn't pray for safety, and they didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for an end to the threats. They didn't pray for God to send them somewhere else. They prayed for boldness to 
keep doing what God called them to do in the place he called them to do it. I want you to think about these new believers. They knew exactly what they were praying. They knew that what they experienced with Peter and John was just the beginning of their persecution. They knew that. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't ever pray with that kind of boldness. I've never asked God for the boldness to stand in a room full of people that hate me and proclaim the gospel to them. I don't pray for that kind of boldness because I don't keep the right perspective of who God is. That's our last point, number five. We can be bold when we keep the right perspective. When they prayed in verse 24, O sovereign Lord, the word they use for Lord is a word that's not used a lot in the New Testament for Lord. It's the word that we get our word despot from. Despot means a ruler with absolute authority. They say, God, you're sovereign. You have absolute authority. You created everything. That's the right perspective. So when we pray with a limited perspective of God, a limited perspective of who he is and what he's capable of doing, we are limiting our expectations of God. It's so easy. I do this all the time. I lower God to my level. It's easy to think that just because something's out of the realm of possibility for me in my own strength and my own power, I just, I just kind of assume, God, it's, you're probably not going to do this for whatever reason, so I'm not even going to pray for that. We think just because it's out of the realm of possibility for us, it's out of the realm of possibility for him. He is unlimited in every way. <laughs> He has infinite time, infinite resources, infinite power. He has absolute authority over everything, and he absolutely loves you. That doesn't mean that living out our faith and sharing the good news of the gospel isn't going to cost us something, though. Jesus told the disciples that they would be hated. Hated, not marginally disliked. Hated by everyone because of him. But he also said if they would stand firm, he would save them. The road ahead for the early church, as we're going to discover in the next few weeks to come as we study Acts, it's a difficult road. They're going to be persecuted by just about everybody at some point, just like Jesus said they would. In fact, some historians believe that in this council that everybody that they called together, they believe there was a man named Saul in that council who later became Paul. We're certainly not persecuted for our faith in America like some of our brothers and sisters are in other parts of the world, but living our faith, I think you would agree, is not as comfortable as it used to be a few years ago. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe God's doing exactly what he said he would do for his church. We know that one day, that not only is it not going to be comfortable, we know that one day it's not even going to be safe. But no matter what, we need to keep the right perspective of God as sovereign in every circumstance we face. So I told you at the beginning this morning that I'm the least qualified person to preach about being bold. You know, as I was thinking through this and studying through this this week, I was just looking at every, every single point. And every single point, I noticed, wow, there's a huge gap between who I'm telling them that we can be and who I really actually am. There's a huge gap. I'm nowhere near there. 
And I'm a pastor, so be encouraged, you know? Fine. <laughs> no, don't fire me, please. So, but the good news is for you, if you're in that place too, you're not alone. If you look at these where it says, you can be bold because of this, you can be bold because of this, and you're saying, well, that's not me, and that's not me, and that's not me. I have good news because even if you're not where you should be and not where God wants you to be and not where you're supposed to be, that's the message of the gospel. That's the truth of Jesus' message and of Peter's message and of our message to other people that none of us are where we're supposed to be. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a huge gap that can only be bridged by a Savior that said, I know you're not where you're supposed to be. I know that. But if you'll trust me with your life, I'll redeem you. And I'm going to use you anyway. If you'll trust me with the words that you don't know what you're going to say yet, I'll redeem your words and I'll use those anyway. And you can draw it out on paper any way you want. You can draw the, the two little cliffs with a, with a chasm that's bridged by a cross. You can draw the three circles with arrows pointing at each one. All of those are good because those are all where the conversation starts. But they don't really matter. What matters is if you trust Jesus enough to say yes. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, I want you to listen to Peter's bold words. He says, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I can't preach it any better than Pastor Peter preached it. You will not find life change anywhere else in this entire world except through the power of Jesus Christ. And he wants to change you now. And he wants to use you to change other people. And he's calling you to that. So if you don't know Jesus, my question for you today is, would you say, would you say yes to him? He's calling you right now to know him, to know the power of the gospel. In a few minutes, we're going to sing together. And I know that you don't need any help to ask Jesus to change you. But I'll be on the front row, and if you, if you need to, me to help you pray or anything, I'll be there. I'd love to do that. Would, that would make my day to be able to do that. So if you don't know who Jesus is, if you've not been changed by him, he wants to change you right now today. And if you're like me, if you've already experienced that life change, but at times if you find yourself being the guardian of the stroller while those gospel opportunities fly by at breakneck speed and you miss every single one of you one of them I want to challenge you this week to do something I want to challenge you this week to share the gospel with one person just one even if you're 100% sure that your message will be dismissed or rejected if you stumble through every word that comes out of your mouth if you can only speak the name of Jesus, if all you can get out of his mouth is Jesus, then I want to challenge you this week to say Jesus to one person and then let the helper help. One word. Speak the name of Jesus to one person this week. And I promise God will use you if you will allow, if you will be receiving 
is Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, we're, we're grateful because we know that you could have chosen just to leave us on our own here on this earth. And you could have, you could have chosen just to turn it all over to us on our own, but you didn't. God, you're so good to us that you sent us your Holy Spirit to help. And Lord, I know that this morning there may be somebody here that the Holy Spirit is, is calling to be changed. Lord, there may be somebody here this morning. I pray that there is. I pray that there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know that life change, that their life, that they, they're in such desperate need of you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, um, that you would call out to them to, and that you would call them to salvation. Lord, I pray for those of us that are already saved. God, I'll be the first one to say it is so difficult to share the gospel. Not because it's good news, but because we're filled with fear. But God, you are not a God of fear. You are the Lion of Judah. Conquered the grave. You are sovereign. You are Lord over everything. And if you are calling us to do something, if 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 the winds of your Holy Spirit are, are blowing into our cells, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss out on an opportunity to be blessed by sharing the good news of our salvation with somebody else. Would you have your way in us this week? Lord, would you move us and change us and help us to be bold to speak your name to somebody, even if that's the only thing we can say is Jesus. There's a million reasons why we can't do that, but there's only one that matters. One reason that we should. We love you. We ask you you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.